Hello, and welcome to The Staffing Show, the only podcast that delivers tools, tips, and tactics from the staffing and recruiting industry's top executives and thought leaders. This episode is brought to you by Crelate, the all-in-one platform for modern staffing firms. Do you love your ATS? What if you could? From ATS and CRM to flexible onboarding to pay and bill, Crelate is fast, flexible, intuitive software used by over 1,700 talent businesses. Crelate helps you integrate and streamline every part of your business, giving operations leaders a real-time integrated view of the entire firm and every process in it. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us for another episode of The Staffing Show. Today, I am super excited to be joined by Jason Pyle, who is the Managing Director and President of Harvey Nash. Jason, thanks so much for being on the show today. Super excited about the conversation. To kick things off, could you tell us a little bit about who you are and how you got into the staffing industry? Sure, absolutely. Thanks so much. You know, appreciate the opportunity. It's nice to be with you. So as you share, Jason Pyle, Managing Director and President of Harvey Nash, USA. Personally, you know, I, I got in the recruitment industry about 24 years ago. So I've, I've been a lifer in it pretty much since right out of college. And I think like many in our space, my first job was as a recruiter. So I really gravitated to the industry through the recruiting chair. That was where I just fell in love with the business. And I'm, you know, I'm probably not alone to learn about every hat you can, whether it's sales, um, <laughs> business development, um, leading recruiting teams, leading sales teams, and leading every team. So I, I, again, I, I'm, it's probably a normal thing for, for when you see people in or many hats around the business. And I, I, I really just couldn't be happier to call the industry home. I, I, I sort of make it a point to tell anybody I can, certainly, you know, our employees, anybody that's new to the space, my daughters, my three kids, you know, just what a great industry it is to, you know, to be in. And certainly very cliche to say this, but I don't know of too many industries where you truly get whatever you put in. So it's a hustle and hard work based um, based industry. I'd be remiss not to introduce our business. So, you know, Harvey Nash, just real briefly, is technology recruitment business. Uh, we've been in business in the USA for over 25 years, globally for for 30 plus. Very proud to work with a lot of you know some of the biggest brands in the space and some exciting mid market companies as well primarily focused around contract firm, RPO. Business is about 185 run rate in USA, top 50 IT firm in the US, but globally, one of the 30 largest tech uh, solutions and recruitment businesses under the uh, Nash Squared family of brands. So Nash Squared is our parent company and SIA 33, I think, or something like that, you know, in the list. So billion, billion three in, in turnover and which is really nice jumping off point here. We've been able to produce a wonderful piece of data in our annual digital leadership reports we're proud of and I'm sure we'll get into at some point here shortly. Yeah, absolutely. That's uh, impressive. I, I know of the Harvey Nash brand in the US and we kind of set up this call and was looking and did not realize we were so big globally. That's a huge footprint. What are some of the kind of keys that you've seen to help drive growth for Harvey Nash over the last few years? Well, certainly. I, we focus broadly around you know, you, we've got our major accounts business that really focuses on your Fortune um, 200, Fortune 250 size companies, and as well as uh, blend that and round that out with a middle market strategy in some major geographies around the country, Seattle, the Northeast, uh, tri-state area, Nashville, Tennessee, which is where I'm, I'm based. So I certainly think, we're, you know, well diversified in that area, but recruiting delivery is really where the rubber meets the road for us. So, I mean, we, we really want to make 
both talent attraction as simple as we possibly can for our customers and as well as the candidates that we target. So making it really easy to work with us. We like to call it a predictive staffing in the way that we approach what we do and really data focused in the way that we we go about that. So I, I not everything you can measure is worth measuring. But we make sure that the, the, the real key value items that we, we want to go after, we're really focused hard on that. So whether we're looking at rates response, whether we're looking at our fill rates, our interview to fill rates, really a self-assessing, capturing that data and how we're doing, you know, how we're improving. We, we find a lot of times in our space, companies that work, let's say you work with a, you know, with MSPs or you're working with through gatekeepers at, at customers. There's a lot of information that you can gather and gain to gain an understanding about how you're really doing without ever needing to hear that feedback directly from the client. And so we set up our delivery approach around really self-assessing. We're grading all the time how we're doing. And so I would say that's probably underline underscore the biggest thing that sets us apart in our delivery. Well, that's amazing. And so you basically have KPIs that are managed down to the brand level or the individual manager level. You mentioned fill rates. Are you able to share any of the other kind of top top level KPIs that you think are critical yeah. for yeah. your guys' success? Absolutely. So I would say with if we were to look at fill rates, so you know, MSP space, servicing, more your central accounts where you've got heavy competition, you've got, you know, sort of multiple suppliers within categories and within much less than the entire program. Certainly in excess of 20% fill rates that we, we, we service. Uh, we track every rec, every major component that, that we can. Uh, we like to go into these sort of quarterly metric calls and meetings with, with more information than I dare say our customers have on us. And that, yeah. that's not, yep. that's not, that's not normal. You know, normal, normal, I think is, is we get responsive in our space sometimes and we wait to hear what the scorecards look like, what the information looks like. And, you know, to get ahead to really purposely grow, I think in our business, you have to you have to track in mind that. And there's a couple of things that we use, you know, Bullhorn's a, a, a tool that we use, but I, I think that I'm probably probably agnostic maybe about what, what ATS um, yeah. a, a company might use. Bullhorn's been great for us because it didn't dictate, you know, our process to us. It enabled us to establish our process and 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 fit that within the Horn ecosystem. And so I really think Process adherence is important. I mean, you have to check that process. You can get stuck sometimes by delivering on something that always worked. And, and as we're seeing today, right, this market changes and evolves. So you have to constantly be assessing how you're doing. So that KPI is really important. And it sounds like you're you're basically holding your team to a standard where they're going in with their own scorecards that are better than the scorecard that the customer would be rating them on. Is that a... That is the goal. <laughs> That, yeah, is, that is the goal. Like, yeah. And, and I, would, I would say we, we execute on that really well. That, that's a focal point for us. We, we don't want any surprises. And uh, we find that a lot of times we can correct the data that, that we're being presented, that's being presented to us. And I, I, I think it's important to, to, to set that kind of a standard with our team so that we're you know, forensic about it, quite honestly. With that, I mean, it sounds like you guys have a, a good delivery approach. And then the just out of uh, curiosity, I know you guys are... I think from what I understand in contract perm <laughs> solutions business, sure. RPO, you just mentioned earlier that you have a new uh, segment that you're going after on the startup and uh, scale up space, which Ooh. I'd love to dig into as well. But in terms of growth in 2023, where do you see the biggest opportunities? Great question. So I think that right now, we all know the macroeconomic landscape right now is just changing. Everybody's craning their neck around looking to see sort of, sort of what's happening. I'm of a viewpoint that 
we're in a, a space that that is on the whole, especially in the IT sector, that we we target mm-hmm. predominantly. So our business is upwards of seventy five percent, give or take, um, IT um, centric in, in terms of the recruitment that we do for our customers. Yeah. So there is a bit of an insulation there, but I, I think too, even at a high level, we have seen some of our customers, some of our larger companies. I mentioned like you know Fortune one hundred, Fortune two hundred yeah. size businesses. You know, beholden to shareholders, making certain decisions around costs and so forth, which might have caused them to, at this point in time, some of the hiring. What we're really seeing, though, is that that middle market is is a is a place of focus. So, you know, whether you for everybody that's different, right? For us, that would be somewhere in you know north of of a quarter billion in overall revenue. You know, upwards of about a billion or so. And I think for every business that every staffing firm, recruitment firm, that might be different. But certainly focusing there is a big, a big target for us in, in the new year, really building up that side of our business. You know, I know we talked a little bit before we we jumped on here about, you know, direct sourcing. It's certainly an area of focus for our for our business. You know, we are uh, in, in the United Kingdom, for example, we are uh, in, in a number of different very large programs handling direct sourcing there. We're rolling that program out in the United States and actually a part of a direct sourcing masterclass here that's going to take place in early February in Nashville, Tennessee, where I'm based out of. And, and a number of leading industry partners have come in to, to be a part of this program and MSPs and you know major partners in the space. So that's an area of focus for us. You kind of touched on our rollout of a new startup scale-up brand as well, which I can I can touch on too. So these are all areas of focus for us, as well as just always putting on more steam and and growing within the sector that we are really strong in, which is definitely that that large national account in the presence too. Uh, that's great. And I want to jump into the direct sourcing component and also into your kind of the scale up startup segment as sure. well. The one area you did touch on, which I know is top of mind for many of our listeners is kind of just the economic trends right now. There is a lot of fear of a recession. I just saw a stat that it's estimated that 120,000 tech workers have been laid off. There's been mass layoffs at a lot of these major tech firms. What's your take on the economy and what's going on right now? Let me couch this by saying I'm an I'm an optimist. So yeah. I'm definitely yeah. I'm definitely optimistic in nature, but you you've got so much, you know, talking heads saying saying different things about this. So on one hand, you've got a major bank reasonably bullish about what um, you know, one of the largest banks in the in, in the world, reasonably bullish about what they're seeing and, and consumer spending certainly is booing us right now and holding things up. And we had a Black Friday a week or so ago that that was, you know, set a record. In addition, unemployment, we saw the numbers come out, you know, from, from last month where, a uh, month prior, excuse me, where you had 30% more job creation than was anticipated. Um, so that certainly, I think, I think buoys us start getting into certain sectors, IT, that more insulated maybe than others, some um, certain healthcare roles, maybe a bit more insulated than others. But in general terms, I'm, I, I think I'm optimistic about where things are going. I think some of your larger companies, that we've seen in the space, tech organizations as well, had to get ahead of some of the inflationary risk that that was coming at them left and right. Again, you've got you're beholden to a lot of shareholders and investors. You need to make sure that that you're you're operating responsibly and properly. So it stands to reason they would make some of the decisions that they did. So the question is, you know, have they gotten ahead of that? My answer to that is probably yes. And I think as we get through the the end of this year and start the year now, there's so many different opinions on this that kind of come to the middle, which is nobody can tell you, nobody really knows. And cliche to say nobody has a crystal ball. They don't. But I feel good about where things are, are going. Um, I think we'll be fine next year. 
take our lumps and, um, you know, where we have to. I mean, I think it's an opportunity for us to use this time, you know, where it might be a little bit slower. You know, we've seen certain job volume from large customers dip a little bit. So you spend time, you know, working with your team, coaching, training, driving, improving your setup and your structure. Use these times wisely. I think rather than maybe dwelling on what you can't control, focusing on, on, on what you can, it's a good time to, you know, David, I know you're very focused in the you know, tech stacks, you know, making sure that do you have that right? You know, what are the what are the things that you need to be doing to get that dialed in properly for you? So there's lots that we can do as as leaders and as folks in the staffing and recruitment space to to shift our focus a bit, focus on what we can control. Yeah, I'm uh, optimistic as well. And I also coming off of TechServe's conference where Alan with ITR, I can't remember his last name, but he was sharing that we're not going into a recession and unless you're in retail, you shouldn't shouldn't be worried about things. So growth for the IT industry is going to continue, but slowed growth, but still yeah. growth, but still growth. So that, that's a, it's not a bad spot to be as if the industry is no, no continuing to move up. Yeah. No, no doubt. I, I would say we produced our, so every year we produce a digital leadership report that, you know, this year it's longest standing report of its kind. Nash Square, again, our parent company drives that and has been added a global footprint. The way we do have access to a lot of digital leaders across um, across the world. So this year's report was approximately 1,800 respondents, 80 different countries and, and so forth. And I bring that up because 52% of respondents in that report saw an increase coming in, 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 in the following year to their, their IT budget. And while yeah. that was the third highest percentage that we have seen. Really? Um, so, you know, even, <laughs> even, given, even, even given what we're dealing with. So last year, this is 60%, which was, of course, the tides were rising immensely for, across the board. But even despite what we're running into at the moment, 52% you know, are optimistic around that. 58% feeling like they'll see their internal IT headcount uh, increase as well in the coming year, which is, again, a little lighter maybe than what we what we saw last year. But still, I think to your point, what you bring up with, with the techs are still bullish on where we're headed. Yeah, absolutely. And I was also reading something recently about, uh, I'm curious to get your thoughts on this, but the layoffs being more of a social contagion and more of everybody's doing it. I've, I've had... Uh, an advisor to me tell me that you know layoffs are frequently it's just an opportunity to get to make some adjustments to the headcount and resources that you might have overdone it with. <laughs> so that's a, interesting. That's a, yeah. Well, that's a yeah. good point. And and so you this is in the news. You continue to you know where these large businesses at times I know they're looking at their own data. They've got some very smart people in their finance operations. They bring in in great economists and so forth that can help give them the guidance that they need. But yeah, at some point though, it can become a little bit of a copycat kind of a, yeah. kind of a deal too and be an opportunistic way to reduce your, your, your risk. Also, if we, we think about the last run up to this year, 2022, a lot of hiring. Like we saw that with, with, with a few firms, right? A lot of hiring that, that's happened and maybe that was a way to, to adjust and course correct a little bit. So yeah. Good point. Well, when I think I, the IT uh, bill rates were where they went through the roof there for a little bit, they went leveling off to Absolutely. maybe a, susta- a sustainable level at this point. I I was trying to hire some engineers last year and it was just <laughs> pay rates were, they're still high, but maybe at a, a more reasonable point at this stage. So with that, within, you guys have your digital leadership report, which is awesome. I, I scanned that and highly recommend that people look that up. We'll grab a link to that and add it to the show okay. notes. But what segments within the IT industry do you see winning in the next couple of years? Uh, certainly. I, I, organizations that haven't really 
completed or still in some phase of evolution, right? And their, their cloud journey, the cloud was tops. You know, it was a slight drop from last year, but still right there at the top. But, but second, you know, to that was certainly big data. I think as organizations begin to, to realize that we talked about at the top of the podcast, you know, about data and how we use data in, in our world. Gaining actionable insights from data is a big area of focus from this year's report. And many respondents are sharing, over two-thirds share that that will be the, the main focus in, in the coming year because they, they realize, the I mean, digital leaders realize that they can gain a competitive advantage. Uh, on the other hand, I mean, opposite that, uh, we, we've seen some of the other emerging tech areas like AI and automation dropped a little bit. And, and that's probably due, you know, cloud and big data, insights becoming more important, perhaps easier to gain ROI from, right? Easier to make a, you know, easier to improve your customer experience, let's say, when it comes to cloud enablement and so forth. So whether it's senior leadership or boards want to see that ROI. So maybe AI perhaps taking a little bit of a backseat. I'm making some inferences here because we don't always learn exactly why those decisions and why something dropped in in its uh, priority. But automation, AI is hugely important, but it may not prioritize as high as some of these others for all the reasons, you know, uh, all the reasons I shared. I think it's about prioritizing what you're going to spend your money on. Um, so those are certainly two areas. Uh, cybersecurity, huge, right? So yeah. You mentioned the cost of you know, our, our bill rates and so forth, but you go back to cybersecurity, certain development and engineering, you know, big data, data scientists, probably still going to be okay with those bill rates and probably still see some premium on that. Yeah, yeah I know. There's some, some areas where there's just not going to be enough people in, in the foreseeable future. And Absolutely. with that, you know, when the demands that uh, outstripping supply, with that, that kind of leads into the sourcing component of things. I know you've, you're talking on direct sourcing, how Harvey Nash approaches sourcing, and then also would like to dig into direct sourcing and understand that a little bit better, help share that with our audience as well. Uh, certainly. So it, it's an investment, right? We look at, it's our customers are relying on us to, to help them fill a gap and, and be there to, to support um, their core area of need. And yes, you've got skill shortages. Certainly, we, we work to educate our clients on, on the importance of, of upskilling existing team, of, of work to retain their existing team and getting that because this is a long play, right? This isn't something that you're going to just flip the switch and all of a sudden your access to cyber and, and data scientists and, and other things are going to, to be solved overnight. So we have to take a, we have to sort of educate and work with our clients on what they can be doing to first retain but secondly, um, we're in the business of placement, right? So we need to really invest in teams that are building subject matter expertise in the candidate markets that, that our customers are, are, are working in, whether that is cyber, whether that is big data, but building up and curating, going to the talent and curating pipelines of talent that, that line up well with the ideal fit for our customers, whether that's geographic locations and otherwise. Uh, we are seeing, obviously, with, with more hybrid model being embraced and we highly, you know, digital leadership report supported that. I and mean, we highly advocate for customers being flexible about their, their willingness to allow remote and hybrid work environments just gives you access to, to greater talent. You can cast a wider net. But then just purely investing in your team members, your organization, your employees, going after and working with that. If candidates are getting so many calls, they're getting... They're reached out to left and right. You've got to build a rapport with 
the individuals in the space. You've got to build rapport with candidates so they, they know you're here. To, you're here. You're in that space. You have opportunities that abound in that space. Your clients are looking to you to solve those talent challenges for them. And you have a better shot at, at getting them interested in, in, in the stuff that you have for them. I also think, too, it's important that we, whether it's contract and we as a, as a recruiting firm have to look at our offer. What is our offer internally for any W-2 contractors that we have? What are we putting out there to bridge the gap? So pay rates, we talked about that, making sure the rates are, are in line. That's a given, right? Yeah. But then also, what is the other offer? We would advocate our clients doing the same too, right? They've got us replacing firm. We've got to educate customers on what are we seeing in the marketplace? They need to be able to rely on us to, to help diagnose where they can, where they can help improve that. Awesome. So, I mean, it sounds like you've got, not surprisingly, you're trying all of the, you know, you're using all of the tactics to make sure that you're curating the pipeline of talent that you need. What areas, I know you're speaking on the, the direct sourcing masterclass. Yeah. Could you explain a little bit more about what is direct sourcing? How does it work? Why, why should people care? So direct sourcing is, is a hot button topic. You're hearing a lot about it. Go to any conference. You're going to, to have many speakers learning more, wanting to learn more about it. Um, direct sourcing for our audience is, is really private curation. So if you're a customer, you're a, a Fortune 100 business, you've built you know, a reputable brand, bringing a curation partner, bringing a direct sourcing partner um, behind the veil, if you will, to curate a private talent pool for your business is a really interesting way to, to increase your time to close, increase your time to fill. Also find exactly what I just mentioned a moment ago as a staffing firm going to the, the talent and engaging with talent a bit differently. Right now, your competitive programs, you know, you might have you know, numerous suppliers within those programs, all fighting for share of voice in the marketplace, working very hard for, for you know to fill your needs fast. But you can get ahead of that by bringing that in-house. So you're seeing a lot of firms like Harvey Nash, we have a direct sourcing practice where we can go within the organization and work in alongside side them, work with their in-house assets, whether that's their um, both in-house um, websites and their in-house you know, openings and HR team to extend that reach. What we found a lot of times is sometimes HR doesn't move quite as fast, right? This kind of <laughs> yeah. now as 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 we in the recruitment business are are used to working. You know, so it's it's yesterday. Yesterday speed, yesterday pace, and direct sourcing is really a, a private curation for an end customer. It can typically be used to cover a wide range of really reaching out directly and curating a talent pipeline. So whether you do that as a recruiting firm for your, for your and I would argue that's what we're doing today for all of our competitive programs that we're working within, we're still working on, on a talent curation program, a direct sourcing program. It may not be privately labeled, so it may not be XYZ's brand because we've come inside the organization. But that's still the approach that we take, whether we're, we're working with you know, an MSP program or a direct relationship, whatever the case may be. So I mean, from what I understand, say your Google's a customer of yours. You're working side by side with Google and saying, hey, your network, your brand, we're going to leverage that. We're going to source directly for you, build this talent pipeline. How does that differ from an RPO model or what's the, the kind of the variable there? It, there's a lot of similarities to that. It's just repackaged a bit differently. I, I okay. Think you, you find a lot of what we, what we do in our space and we've been in the business a long time too. So it's, we've been through major iterations, but, but yeah. sometimes it just reshapes itself a little bit. What a direct sourcing program would be. So you bring up Google so we can use that as an example. 
If Google brings a, a single talent curation partner in their organization, leveraging a direct sourcing technology, and there's many out there that you can look up that are available for an organization that can typically be mated alongside a current MSP and a current VMS portal so that it sits alongside that. There's typically a lead time that can be given to the direct source and curation partner. So let's say they bring um, Harvey Nash into the organization as a curation partner. Harvey Nash would then be sourcing and recruiting directly on behalf of in this case, Google, as you mentioned. So we would be wearing a Google hat and extending the reach of Google. And, and we're leveraging our knowledge in, in the industry. We're leveraging our team. So in this case, we put a very large team to support a customer that we, that has invested in us and brought us into their organization to support their program. We then extend that team out. So whether you're looking at, whether you're out there casting a net on, on your, your current database, the client's database. So by bringing a curation partner, Harvey Nash in this case, into the organization, we now have access to Google's broader talent pool. And then we can work on engagement strategies to keep them up to speed, make them feel a part of a private labeled curation, if you will. And it it really significantly improves uh, that in customer's time to close. It's a bit more cost effective as well. Uh, why wouldn't the company want to do that? Obviously, you're bringing an organization, a third party behind the veil, right? So you're bringing yeah. a third party. There's there's lots of legal HR. There's other th- you know implications beyond just oh, this is easy. Why didn't every company do it? Also, too, that that organization's goals may be different. So perhaps they're, they're they're looking for a more global strategy that as a way to means to to clean up the amount of suppliers globally they're working with. And that might be a different priority than what a direct sourcing program might, might be. This goes back to what we also said, too, about sort of that copycat mentality. Just because direct sourcing is going on and, 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 and you hear about it and you're seeing it might not mean it's the best solution for an end customer to, to bring that on. But it is a solution. It is something that, that um, the companies are exploring. Yeah, that's interesting. And with that, I mean, what other trends are you seeing kind of on the sourcing front? And what are some of the things that you... How do you think the uh, sourcing landscape is going to change over the next few years? Oh goodness, that's a great question. I mean, you know, I think this is one thing that's that's always changing. Uh, this isn't answering your question around sourcing, but I, I think you know we're continuing to see that that blending of, of statement of work, contingent projects, and professional services all sort of coming under one under one umbrella a bit. And so, total talent continues to be. What our customers are 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 interested in, and that's where too this direct sourcing kind of you know packages on with that. Uh, so yeah, in terms of sourcing, I, it, we're not really I don't see us we're not really reinventing the wheel. It, it's just it, yeah. it's creating a a wider net, and as the skill shortages have have taken shape, that's only made customers looking to get you know almost backward integrating a little bit more and getting closer to the talent. And, and so it sounds like uh, the you said the total talent or like kind of the solutions approach of really more of a we're going to partner with our customers and help them solve whether it's building the solution, contracting it, perm placement, direct sourcing. It's deeper, more meaningful par- partnerships probably based around outcomes. Is that kind of the the approach, that- David? You did a much better job of summarizing than I did. That's, <laughs> that's, exactly, that's exactly the way I would put it. And, I, and, and again, we we feel like. If you're in this space as a staffing and recruiting firm, you have to take that approach 
anyway. You need to be a partner with your customers. They need to be able to rely on you, whether it's understanding bill rates, understanding why we're not able to find where truly what, what sort of fit might work for for their organization. We've got to be that for them. We need to put and invest in resources, putting resources to, to help them solve those problems. So you have to take that approach regardless whether it's direct sourcing or whether, but yes, that's what customers are looking for. And that's what we've got to be, I guess, more purposely and consistently grow our business in this very rapid, amidst very rapid disruption that we're facing. Yeah. I mean, I feel like the digital transformation, everybody talks about it. Everybody knows what's going on. Everybody's trying a lot of different avenues to like go down that path and then just different software and figuring out what's going to make sense. What are some of the things that you guys are doing on the, the digital transformation front? Do you have any major initiatives? So one of the things that we just said, Nash Squared is part of our global business. We have a number of solutions business. Nash Tech here in the United States is, is our really helps clients through that digital yeah. transformation process. So we have an entire team that is focused on helping customers through that. And, and it requires um, you know, learning more about where the business is in that journey what bottlenecks and, and trouble points are taking, you know, are, are hitting them hard and how we can help them overcome that. So creating really boutique solutions for customers. So one of the brands that we've had in US for a number of years now as a sister company of Harvey Nash. And so we work with clients and as they have issues and challenges with that, we're, we, we then bring in our Nash tech team to help them solve that. Uh, so whether it's onshore outsourcing, we can, we can, you know, we tackle that in that way. Awesome. One of the last areas I wanted to cover before we get into kind of the, the speed questions was you had talked about how you've got a new, I don't know if you call it division or uh, department, but yeah. Spinks, Spinks uh, going That's after correct. I'd love to just learn more about that. And what is it? Perfect. Great question. So yeah, you know, I, I 47% uh, increase in tech startups in the, in the USA. I know you know that all too well. And, and Harvey Nash has been entrenched in the tech space, tech recruitment space for 30 years globally, again, 25 years here in the U.S. But in simultaneous to that, though, our, our brand Sphinx in the U.K. and in Europe has been instrumental in helping startups and scale-ups um, grow their business. A lot of times you have founder uh, operators, right, that are really working to grow and need to grow quickly. They get vested capital and they've got to make it work and, and they've got to make it work in an expeditious manner. So Sphinx is there to help. You know, we have an on-site embedded program. So typically what you would you know, normal RPO, but the, the difference being that scale-up space has a little different way of working and a little different need. And we've tailored that to service those customers. So whether it's contingent, whether it is um, an on-site managed service, whether it's an RPO solution embedded on-site talent solution, we can we can help them, you know, in that regard. So it's we're looking forward, we're launching it in uh, early January. I'm looking forward to really getting that kicked off. Well, that's, that's incredible. And I, I feel like the, the start, having been in the startup and scale up space at different points throughout my career and currently sitting in, in some shape or form, very different needs from an IT perspective, much quicker to kind of take action and hire and feel like it's a, a very different demand. So that's cool that you guys have that specialty. What is it when you say you're launching? Are you uh, launching US since it's been... We are, uh, you we can, are launching yeah. US. I'm sorry. I think, yeah. So we're launching US on January 10th. We soft launched this week working with customers there. We've been doing this for 20 plus years in the UK. So God, I've been fortunate, awesome. enough to, fortunate enough to, to help a lot of companies uh, in the United Kingdom and in Central Europe. And um, we're looking to uh, launch that here officially and they can't awesome. wait to get it rolled out. Awesome. I'll be sending Very, some, some information out to you. Yeah, absolutely. And if you have a, a link to that or anything you want to share in the show notes, we can grab that as well. So that's, that's great. All right. So we are to the last section of the, the podcast today. 
some quick questions for you. So what advice do you wish you were given before entering the staffing industry? Oh, that's, that's great advice. I, I, I'm going to keep this really basic, I suppose, and just say that we're very quick to, this is human nature, very quick to look across the fence, the grass is greener, et cetera. So I don't know, this isn't specific to, to uh, any given industry, but I, I think whatever you do, you have to, you have to really focus on being the best at whatever it is that you're, that you're taking on. And, you know, I, I try to encourage people to look at the staffing space and recruitment space because I think it's a great, great place to grow a career. Whether you want to be a business leader, division leader, you know, a CEO or an individual contributor, putting great people to work and helping clients, you've got to focus on not craning your neck around looking for other things, other opportunities while you're, you're casually going through the motions and whatever it is that you're doing. You have to invest. So I would say that really be present, invest in what you're doing. You'll, you'll make more out of that than wishing and, and looking across the, looking, looking out on the horizon too often. It's good to daydream, but but focus on, on what you're doing, what's right in front of you, make the most of it. I love that. In the last five years, what new belief, behavior, or habit has most improved your life? Gosh, a great question. I wouldn't say it's a new behavior, but I, I think it's a lesson nonetheless. I'm, we're coming to the end of the year. End of the, our fiscal year ends January 31st. And I, I think up to five or six years ago, speaking of being present, I don't know that I spent enough time really going back and assessing the year, assessing where I where I tripped up, where I, you know, could have zigged when I zagged. I think it's important to really stop and take the time that you need, whether that's a few days, whether that's a weekend, and really reflecting on the year, looking at the decisions that you made. Learn from your wins, right? Learn from your wins because sometimes you can blueprint those a little bit easier than than you might think, right? We tend to win and then say, oh, we won and move on. Figure out what helped you get that victory. But also, I think really looking at some of the mistakes made and, and some of the, the, the things that you wish you could. And so I go back to the answer and be a little more succinct. Take time in looking at, at where you where you slipped up and what you could have done differently. Make sure you learn from it. So spending time doing that. I uh, love that and uh, second that advice. What is the book or books you've given most as a gift and why? So I just in the last uh, month read Simple Path to Wealth by J.L. Collins. And I have gifted it four times um, I'm picking since, it up. <laughs> that, since that. And here's the deal. I, it, it is very basic. It is very simple. It is not rocket science, but it is the way that the, the material is presented on, you know, really how to, of course, it's a simple path to wealth, but really it talks more about that. It's life lessons. It's ways to, to, you know, set up habits that, you know, in this case made the author successful, but, and it's really, I have three girls. It started as letters to his daughter on advice and guidance on, on, you know, just growing up and all those, all the adult decisions that one has to make. I think it does a really good job of presenting material that we all need to remind ourselves of and learn. So great, great book and, and a recent one like that. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm putting that down on my, my list. Simple path to wealth. And last question, this one's putting you on the spot a little bit, but what is an unusual habit or absurd thing that you love? Goodness. You know, I wouldn't say it's, um, I, so I, I'm a, I'm a former whiskey blogger. So I, I wrote a blog for a long, long oh, really? time and contributed to. I had to no idea. That's couple, crazy. Couple of I was Googling your name too. I did not come, <laughs> I, did, I did not find your whiskey blog, but. So uh, look up Jason Pyle Bourbon. You may find something that comes up there. All right. So yeah, I'm a, I, I did have a whiskey blog for a long time, contributed to a thousand and one whiskeys to try before you buy. So I do dabble in that, in that useless knowledge of, of whiskey. 
that's amazing. Uh, any whiskeys that you recommend? Uh, close, yeah. Closing, closing. Yeah. No, <laughs> you know it's been it's so it's so crazy, right? We've seen that that industry explode, and it's so hard to find stuff. And people don't know is there's so many brands out there that are really just rebranded from you know one distillery might produce you know a gazillion different brands. Yeah. Um, you know, I try to stick to some of the basics, right? You know, a, a Buffalo Trace and you know, Woodford Reserve. I mean, I, I try to keep it pretty simple. I don't chase the exotic stuff anymore. I, I just find some things I like and stick to it. Awesome. With that, um, any closing comments that you have for our audience? You know, I just go back to the top. You know, we're in a, we're in a wonderful industry. Appreciate all the work that you do to to help support that, and push that forward. Um, uh, I think you just the biggest lesson is really just thinking about our our customers and our candidates and building our delivery team around supporting that to the fullest. And it does take some investment and time to do that properly, but but it's worth it because you you know that investment pays off. And you know whether it's NPS scores is your value, whether it's it's you know it's placements and whether it's revenue growth, it will pay off in that. And so it's simple but uh, but effective. Awesome. Well, that's uh, great advice, Jason. Really enjoyed having you on the podcast today. Great conversations, some great insights. Thanks so much. Thanks so much, David. I appreciate the time today. Thanks so much for letting me come on. Thanks for listening to The Staffing Show. Don't forget to sign up for our newsletter at staffinghub.com to never miss an episode. Until next time.